Hello, and welcome to what is a very special episode here at Network Collective. We are celebrating our one-year anniversary on today's episode. Yay! And we figured there was no better way to do that than inviting on a couple of our favorite people in the networking industry and have another go at sharing some of our favorite networking war stories. I know you're all very excited to get right to laughing with us. Uh, who am I kidding? I know you're all very excited to get to right to laughing at us and all of our misfortune. Um, but, but before we get started on that, we want to let you know uh, that Network Collective is going to be at Interop this year. So uh, Interop is happening between April 30th and May 4th. And uh, yeah, we would love to see you there. Uh, if you're planning on attending, please make sure to come up and say hi. We don't bite. I'd be careful to rust, though. Uh, and we would love, absolutely love to meet you. Although Russ says he doesn't want to meet you. He told me that on our last episode, we talked about interrupt. So Russ will be having a hotel room. <laughs> Yvonne and I would love to see you. Uh, <laughs> and if you've been on the fence about going, you clearly need to go now, right? Cause we're going to be there. Right guys. Yeah. Anyway, absolutely. seriously though, <laughs> if you haven't registered yet, interrupt has been generous enough to extend a discount to our listeners. You can use the code net 200 to save $200 off of your conference pass registration. So yeah, like I said in the intro, we have a couple of great friends joining us for today's show. We have uh, Ethan Banks of Packet Pushers fame and Terry Slattery, who if I read his accolades, the rest of us, we just want to like close up shop and go home. So I'm not yeah, going right. to do that. <laughs> so thanks for being on the show today, guys. Um, so let's get started. And Russ very, very, very much excitedly volunteered to be the first to share his <laughs> war story. So we're, we're going to let him run with it. So Russ, what do so you got, man? Actually, it was pretty funny because you actually found somebody with a lower CCIE number than mine. That's true. You did that on purpose, right, Jordan? It'd be pretty hard to find a person with a lower CCIE <laughs> number than Terry. <laughs> it would be, but you found one lower than mine. Yeah. Maybe, well, I'll I just, maybe I will just close up shop and just be quiet for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and let the experts take it. <laughs> All right, Russ, what do you got, man? So... I'm going to mention a name. I hope they don't mind. It's been many years, but um, I went. I was in, on the global escalation team at Cisco uh, many, many years ago, and this is a long time ago because I was on global escalation at Cisco. Uh, Mickey Mouse failed to make it into the front uh, the front entrance at Magic Kingdom in Orlando. So, because so the because the, the network was a because, because of network. you, Russ. Russ, did you lock <laughs> no. out Mickey? No, no. <laughs> So that's why I got called. I, I, I say many, many years ago, as in you were never welcome back after this experience. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? How did, how did Mickey get locked out of Disney? What happened? So at the time, their local provider would only give them T1 links, which was signed into the contract <laughs> when they signed the contract. So they had all these parallel T1 links in the network, uh, running all the parks together, everything from Team Disney to Magic Kingdom to Epcot, everything was running on T1 links. So when they ran out of space on a T1, they would just kick up another T1 in parallel. So in some places they had eight to 10 T1 links all routed. And to make things better, they were running Edge ERP, which was fine, but they had run Edge ERP, they had attempted to shift off of IGRP. They actually started on IGRP, remember that one? Ethan, Terry, IGRP, <laughs> a, a little bit, yes. I wouldn't ask Yvonne. She's not old enough to remember. <laughs> you can't believe in that. Believe it's <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with that. 
Anyway, they had tried to shift off of IGRP three separate times and had failed every time. So there were three different EIGRP autonomous systems and one IGRP autonomous system with a net running on a network with a lot of T1s running in parallel with so, mutual redistribution. So did they just run another EIGRP instance for every time they failed as like a, that's, a, a that's penance fair. for failing? <laughs> like, <laughs> we failed again. I guess we've got to spin up another version of EIGRP. <laughs> that is correct. So one morning the uh, network went down just before park opening and it stayed down and Mickey swiped his card and Mickey could not get into the park. I imagine anything to do with mutual redistribution. Always a, always a good time. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was a blast. How we finally fixed it was we actually took routing off the network entirely. I mean, that will we fix a routing we, problem. You won't yes. have a routing problem if you just remove routing. <laughs> That's right. No router. So I, used to, I used to work for a guy who said, well, turn the network off and see if it's still broken. Then you know, it's not the network. It's well, like a doctor who's, you know, you go in and tell him it hurts yeah. when I do this. He says, don't do that. Right. Well, that's you know, well, yeah, that's really obvious, but you know, yeah, just turn I might need off. to do that every once in a while. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, so we literally turned the, took routing off of every router in the entire network and telling it at hop by hop through the network, turning EIGRP and a single AS back on and allowing it to be converged. Oh, so this, th this was the, this was the catalyst for actually having a successful EIGRP conversion. That's exactly right. Well, there you know, there's your silver lining. <laughs> so we actually converted them to a single EIG or PAS. Now, honestly, was it an accident? Because, I mean, there are some people out there that would, you know, intentionally sabotage for the purpose of actually <laughs> successfully accomplishing the thing that they haven't been able to do. Well, we, we, we still <laughs> did did you take down Disney on purpose, Russ? <laughs> no, no. Change no. windows happening now. No, yeah, it's now. Happening. <laughs> <laughs> said it's happening now. Now. We used to do that in tech, of course, you know. When we wanted somebody to reboot their router and they wouldn't do it, we'd just do a, can I get access to your console? Sure, I just need to look around some, debug all. Oh, your router console stopped responding. I'm so sorry. I guess you'll have to <laughs> Oh, that's so inelegant. You have to use the test crash commands. You guys know about test crash, right? Right. Yeah, but that leaves a trace. That's too no, easy. No, but is... the test crash shows the in the log the 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 error that you supposedly had, right? It doesn't leave a trace, trace of running the command unless you're running like, you know, authorization on per some third party. Yeah, yeah. Per, yeah, per command authorization, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we had that bite us and we had we had that bite us once in the TAC to our escalation team as well once because we went to this bank and they were trying to figure out like what was going on. The edge European neighbors were flapping. So we started doing show queues and we would pull the queue and take all the packets in the queue and decode them. And we couldn't figure out what this packet was that was stuffing the queue up that was causing all of the, um, causing the edge European neighbors to fall over because the, the queue was just stuffed and we couldn't get any edge through, P through. So we kept chasing down the single IP address. We couldn't figure out what it was. We we ultimately found it. They had, um, well, well, first of all, I like the suspense. We, got, oh, we found right it. Yes, you do. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you how. <laughs> but, first of all, we found out that the IP address was per command authorization server. It was a AAA server. Okay. So every time we'd run the command to find out what was in the queue, it was the packets coming back from the server <laughs> telling us we could run the command to see what was in the queue. That, that is one of those things where you just say, I give up, I'm going home. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> when the command to validate the issue is what's causing the issue, that's just one of those, like, I give up. It's just, that's, this that's, isn't fun that's anymore. Right. 
We're really That's good right. at locking the key inside of the box we need to open. <laughs> this, this is like running, right? Um, uh, a vCenter inside of the VMware environment it's managing, which is a recommended <laughs> practice from VMware. <laughs> and it just blows my mind because I'm like, I don't know that I want to do that. And I've done it. I've run environments that way. But man, it is like when, when things go sideways, it's a bad day. So what they had done was they had actually installed a um, program that was a backup program and it wanted to find all of its clients, but they had installed the server on every one of their hosts, like 10,000 hosts. Oh, so, so every host was essentially broadcast discovery of every... Uh, yeah, even, even worse. It was doing walking the IPv4 um, classful address boundaries during subnet broadcast starting from 0000. Ooh. All the way to 255, 255, 255. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to be Well, I can't imagine why the HRP neighbors are falling over. Terry, <laughs> what was that? Is this the original denial of service attack? <laughs> well, I guess technically you put that on every single box in your network. I imagine it's going to cost them some habit. It's, it's an SDDoS. It's a self SDOS. Nice. So funny. I, just, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine sitting there as the coder thinking, oh, this is no problem. Like, does do, no one do the math? Like, of how many addresses that was and what they required? No, oh, crazy. No, no one did the math. No, too much work. Just do a loop. All right. All right. Ethan, man, I know uh, we had talked, or you had mentioned earlier that you might have some layer two goodness. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's tell that story first. Um, so I was a, an architect for a bank and we had a data center that did credit card processing. This goes back um, a decade-ish now, maybe maybe longer. So so no one, everyone's innocent uh, at this this point in the, uh, this first part. Um, <laughs> I, I, love these, I love these shows that come with all the disclaimers. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I can say that or they're like, I know what happened a long time ago, but we're going to hunt you down. (laughs) Okay, let me get my colors right first. We got it. There we go. If you weren't watching the video, the the, the light in Ethan's room just turned red. So, you know, the story's about to get good. (laughs) This is one of these scenarios where... we had moved into a new data center and to move into this new data center, the directive had come down that we needed to be able to put any VLAN anywhere. We weren't going to be renumbering hosts as we move from the old data center to the new data center. So that's, that was one of those things. So, okay, well, we, we can do that. I'm glad this is an old <laughs> thing that this doesn't happen anymore. Oh no, it doesn't, it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, so, so that was the directive from on high. We had to put any VLAN anywhere and uh, yep. Okay. Let's trunk up the VLAN. So the design was very simple. Core switches, access layer switches out in the racks. Uh, just, just simple 802.1 Q trunking. And one day, and this was fine. You know, this, this worked, this was okay. Prune VLANs, be responsible it, and, and so on. But it always had, works until um, it doesn't. What's that? It always works until it doesn't. Until it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. until it doesn't. <laughs> exactly. And then you fall off the cliff and there is absolutely nothing to grab onto on the way down, contrary to the cartoons. 
<laughs> we had a management VLAN with nothing to hang on to on the way down that was shared because you, know, you organize things by VLAN and this was our management VLAN, you know, and so right. all management IPs were in this thing and it wasn't out of band. We didn't have out of band networks back at that point. That wasn't a, a very common option that you could take advantage of. And so every switch in this data center had was on this management VLAN. And, uh, and we had a switch crash and the switch crashed. The way it crashed was very odd. It was uh, in its crash, it was sending the same set of frames over and over and over again at wire speed. At this time it was gig. We hadn't even gotten to 10 gig at this point, filling every pipe with the same chunk of information over and over again, including some broadcast traffic to the management VLAN, meaning every single switch was processing about a gigabit per second worth of traffic, including lots and lots of broadcast traffic. And therefore, its CPUs were just through the roof. And so uh, adjacencies were falling over. And you don't process a lot of credit cards and that sort of thing is happening when you can't find anything anywhere. And so the, the, that was this was a data center hard down, like an entire facility not able to process credit card transactions on a network that was doing $2 billion worth of transactions each day. Everything had failed over to the other data center. And now it's like, what's wrong? We didn't know about the crash switch at the time. And so sure. going through, yeah, we had everybody become incident commanders and everybody getting on the phone and uh, making important decisions no one actually trying to solve the problem just like what's wrong running around with their chicken with the head cut off and long story short uh, packet sniff i've been on um, that call ethan i've been on that call too oh yeah wait how is this all the same call? It was, it was Wireshark or probably Ethereal back in the day. Um, we pulled pulled some frames off the wire and we noticed the, finally noticed the pattern. Wait, same thing over and over and over again. Did we manage to have just enough CPU to be able to trace out where it was coming from, go back to that rack with that switch, see it lit solid and just not looking normal, powered it down and... Within a minute, everything converged, settled back down again, and whew, relief. We, we hit our TTLs, and uh, everybody was happy again. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Everyone was, and then it was. I, I don't know that anyone was really happened? happy. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, not going to happen again. The switches yeah. were happy. <laughs> the, environment, the environment was happy again. I imagine there were very, very many unhappy people. Oh, no, no. Period. I mean, it precipitated a pretty major project. You know, now that we've got this design, now what do we do to solve this problem in the future? We ended up implementing storm control and uh, looking really hard at control plane policing which uh, would, would have saved us potentially. Um, but that was so tricky to implement. At that, Those were Catalyst 6500s in that core at that time. Getting that policy right was, and we never every, did get so far as to actually try it. And so, every platform is different, right? Like, like every, time, oh, yeah. every yeah. time you go to do it. So if you have three, four or five different types of switches on your network, each one is, a, is its own experience. And getting you, that you, need to, you need to get the data rates right for that policy to work and not actually clobber things and, and so on. And we couldn't get anybody at Cisco to really be confident that uh, we were going to deploy that. So <laughs> we, we never did. We just stuck with uh, storm control and then worked on, how do we maybe not share layer two everywhere? So, I mean, some people wonder, I, I, I don't like layer two extensions. This was just layer two you, stretch within a data set. You actually, you actually thought about layer three? You actually thought about routing at that point? Well, right. You know, <laughs> right. Who knew? So, and that was, that was the thing. Now, you know, at that point, we didn't have switches that could, uh, I don't think that they could actually route whatever those, the, the head end switch or whatever the, uh, the access layer switches were, but right. That's the, the right design in that scenario. You don't, 
you don't stretch layer two everywhere because it's convenient. You don't want to renumber. You do layer three and you do fault isolation. And, and yet nowadays, I mean, this, this would have been unthinkable back in the day, but now it's just so common to be stretching layer two between data centers. And it makes me crazy to hear those kind of stories. And yet it's such a common design. Yeah. And it, again, most of those designs is it works until it doesn't. Um, yeah. It's just yeah. one of those things like, you know, stretch layer two. Faster. Well, I don't know. Oh, don't start Russ. Don't, where, where did we see that? I saw someone posted a link recently that someone, someone, some vendor somewhere, and please don't say the name because I don't want to make anyone angry, but, uh, but, uh, oh, he's back to blue. Ethan's back to blue. So we're, we're back to, Ethan's back in his good spot. He's sad again. He's sad. <laughs> so, uh, so he's talking, yeah, somebody, somebody was, someone was still selling the idea that, that layer two was faster. And so it's good. So I don't know. Like just, faster. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, as as a point for for not routing. Yes. Yeah, as well, if well, as if we don't have well, hardware assisted well, routing, you know, at this point, like you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah route, route uh, switch when you can, route when you must. Remember that one? Oh yes, yeah, I have heard that one. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> now, yeah. Well, I don't know. Now the smart and, people and, I know and, are saying the exact opposite. And, and <laughs> make sure that make sure that you put everything the taps in the right places so that you get the best possible speed out of your thick net. Oh. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Thanks Russ. Cause, it, cause that does make switching faster. Just to let you know. It does it. I didn't, well, that's why they put the black bands on the cable, right? <laughs> you know, if you bend the thick net at the appropriate radius, you get a slingshot effect for the package. <laughs> Is that like that whole <laughs> orbital maneuver? It turns back on its own gravity <laughs> exactly. and gets on around. <laughs> That's awesome. And if you run the thick net in the plenum, it stays a little bit warmer. And that makes, yeah, that's. Oh, it just loosens good. everything up. That's good. All good. All good advice. <laughs> Russ, it gets even warmer when you're running next to the 13 kV feed. Yeah, there well, you go. go. <laughs> what could go wrong? If you loop it around the 13 kV feed so that you get nice um, capacitive, you know, or inductives. Well, in this is this is taking care of Ethan's theory here. You wrap it around, and it just yep. kind of you know slingshots around. Yeah, the, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So Ethan, you nice said you'd start with that. that one. Do you have another one or is that a... Yeah, I got, I got another quick one. It's just all right, go for it. Because we've all made this mistake at least once. Um, <clears throat> I was troubleshooting some kind of a problem on a 7206 VXR that was the uh, WAN edge for a remote campus. And it was T3 on the other side to the rest of the world. And I'm working on this thing, typing away, typing away. And we're working with TAC on some kind of a problem. They recommended I type debug IP packet for whatever the problem was. We were troubleshooting too long ago. I don't really remember. We're going back 15 plus years. What could I go wrong? That. The router went <laughs> down. Yeah. <laughs> Russ knows the pipeline to this story. <laughs> well, this, this router was um, doing COM port interrupts. And so as soon as I did debug IP packet, it was, it was logging out to the, uh, the COM port. It was gone. It just, the CPU had nothing left. It was, it was over very dramatically. And I was looking at the NMS, watching all the lights go red, walked into my boss's office. I need to go to South Campus now. Uh, router's got to get rebooted. I'll tell you the rest of the story later. I'm going in the car. <laughs> so <I crossed laughs> down, walked in, boom, boom, rebooted the router. It comes back up. Everything's good. But they were offline until I got that 7206 back online, and I had to get in the car to go fix it. So, yep, debug IP packet because TAC told me to. Even though in the back of my head, my brain's going, I wonder if this is a bad thing. Well, TAC told me to, and I trust them. It'll be okay. It was not okay. No. <laughs> I should have gone back to red. 
very bad very very red explanations had to be made and uh, (laughs) at least you did it on a router you could drive to exactly yes yes Yes, that's true there's nothing like the sinking feeling of uh is there anybody at this site (laughs) (laughs) need remote hands Yep, I need remote hands. Can somebody go reboot this machine, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I know that sinking feeling. I'm I'm like reliving it right now as Terry's talking about it because I just like yeah that that moment when you said okay I just took that down, and it's two o'clock in the morning, and I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, that that and no one else is there. Feeling and, in your gut, just yeah. oh no. And and to make it worse, then you call tech to try to fix it, and, and they speak a different language than you do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they, here's Russ is conveniently placing his soapbox right now. <laughs> he's conveniently he's, he's brought out the soapbox. He's just about to place it about complexity. No, I know. No, 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 no. no, it's all good. How about you, Terry? I'm sure you have plenty of fun stories. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of fun stories. So uh, let's talk about something that's not an outage. Um, sure. It's actually actually a performance problem. So I have several scenarios here and, and different outcomes. So the first one is a Metro ethernet. So uh, they're actually running gigabit ethernet between two data centers and these are Metro area data centers. And it's about two milliseconds round trip time. Okay, so pretty close to each other. Um, Major applications here are um, basically document imaging. And it's really big documents, many, many pages. All right, so they're they're moving big documents around. uh, Lots and lots of data. So they have performance problems. So we get called in, uh, can you come in and help us figure out what's going on here? Because our, our local network guys say, everything's copacetic. Everything's fine, not a problem. Uh, it, the network's operating the way it's supposed to. Well, they're kind of right. Um, so what had happened is the network experts had, had uh, noticed via their network management system that the, the gigabit links were taking greater than 100,000 drops Per day, I think it was per day. It may have been per hour. It was a lot, <laughs> big yeah. numbers. All right. So what they decided to do was, gosh, there are these buffers. We can just buffer the data. Oh, <laughs> so because, because every drop is just a, a Q drop. Yeah, it's just a Q drop. So let's yeah. just add some buffers. So they started. I could, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm picturing the outcome of the story already. <laughs> let's keep going, Terry. This is, this is going to be good. So they added. Get this. 2000 buffers all right now these are big documents so it's mtu size packets yeah all right go do the math it works out to i think 14 milliseconds of buffering (laughs) these are data centers that are two milliseconds apart so let's think about this tcp does retransmissions at what interval Come on, Russ. Oh, now, we're, now we're getting a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're all going to fail the quiz. Two times the, the, the smooth round trip time. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. Like four right. milliseconds, it's going to start retransmitting. Oh, but we've you got, got big packets buffers. in flight and then packets now in being flight. retransmitted again. So we have the classic bumper bloat scenario. Yes. And so what happens is you wind up with two or three copies of these things. So the good put goes in the toilet. Now, good put is the actual actual amount of delivered user data here, right? <laughs> and I'll bet, and I'll bet, because this is TCP, you actually every time the TCP session resets its window, you're actually getting the sawtooth effect, and all the TCP sessions are synchronizing Close with start, each other, right? To yeah. Make, yeah, to make everybody happier, right? 
Well, they made themselves happy. <laughs> so, Man. Oh, Russ, if there was only a book in which we wrote about this exact scenario. Wait, I, there is. <laughs> there is. <laughs> now, what was the interesting thing to me was these were some senior networking people that had certifications way up there. So they should have known better. <laughs> and and yeah. they were unhappy at being told that, sorry, a self-inflicted wound here. Uh, the real solution for them was to add more bandwidth because they had no. Really here. And, and the key is there's only one application running or a couple of applications here. So there was no bad data that they could go and deprioritize. There was only market. Uh, oh, that's such market a good data, point. There was only data that they really prioritized for their applications. It was what drove the business. Yeah, I mean, that's such a good point. Like when I talk to QS about QS to my customers, this is exactly how I present it. Don't think of QoS as prioritization. QoS is selecting the things you care less about. <laughs> like, well, like that's really, so and if you, if you can't tell me what you care less about, QoS is not gonna solve your problem. Right, right. and we, we've right. always yep. said, QoS is telling your network what packets to throw away. And when right. you say it that way, it helps people wake up. But no, I was, you know, the whole bandwidth thing, you know, in the South, you know, another wonderful Southern lady, Dolly Pardon, made a statement that you can't put 10 pounds of sugar in a five pound bag. Let's apply that to bandwidth, right? I mean, you just can't make that much data fit. Yeah. There's no magic button. I'm, I'm picturing a new podcast series. TCPI yeah, I mean, lessons by Dolly Parton. Network of many colors. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. QoS is just for people who are too cheap to buy more bandwidth. Well, <laughs> maybe I should continue here. The next story here actually right. follows on that with a QoS story. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> All right. So the next one is is uh, what I've called QoS needs some tuning. All right, so it gets to all the things we just discussed here. So here we have a remote site and it's connected with a T3. So it, you know, for people who don't know, it's 40 megabits a second, roughly 45, but you really get about 40. So, Yvonne, did you know that? Yes, thank you. <laughs> wow. Bless my heart. Out. <laughs> All right, so, anyway, so T3 is connecting these things. So anyway, they complain about slow applications. So we take a look at the network management system and sure enough, it says the network's congested. But if you look at it closely, it's only congested from the hours of about 8.30 in the morning until about five o'clock in the afternoon. And the first thing that happens in my head is I go BitTorrent. <laughs> uh, close, but not quite. Uh, we actually used an application performance management system to take a look at the traffic running on this link. We found that 50% of the traffic, so about 20 megabits, was from three sites. We had three IP addresses, and it was all inbound to this remote site from the internet, Pandora.com, Limelight Networks, and Akamai Networks. Of course. <laughs> Streaming. <laughs> sure, why not? Music radio and Netflix downloads, <laughs> and whatever I mean, this, movie downloads. <laughs> this is particularly relevant because I believe the NCAA basketball finals are tonight. Yeah, tonight. We're recording it. Yeah, they're, they're tonight. Exactly. And, and, you know, like this is the, the, you know, 
completely unplanned but completely known about network throughput capacity testing window for just about every network out there because you get to final four and everybody streams it and it's like all of a sudden our bandwidth went up you know or our utilization went up like 50 percent on on whatever we were using before so terry could you use some kind of app identification to uh, throttle that back to you know 1k something like that so actually what we did is we did configure QoS on this because we had identified three sites that we could easily identify in a very small ACL. Let's deprioritize these. So we deprioritized them. So then we went back and, and did a show queuing on the router here. And guess what? All three queues that we had <laughs> up in packets about an equal amount of piece. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, so then we were like really scratching our heads going, okay, so what's going on here? So we took a look at the application and it turns out that the application was transmitting a bunch of small packets. It was like screen scraping and almost like a TN3270 sort of stuff with individual characters in each packet. And so it, just, it would send this burst of data and overrun the 64 packet default queue in the high priority queue. So what we did is we started adding buffers so this kind of ties back to the previous one of, okay, they added 2000 buffers. Well, that was way overkill. Uh, in this particular case, we added, uh, we went from 64 to 256 buffers and that took care of the problem. So in this, this case, it was strictly go figure out what traffic is bad and deprioritize it just like everybody here has said. And well, right. And for us. So this yeah. speaks to the value, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right? Yeah. Now the right. feedback here was, yeah, the application works great, but you know, the internet's kind of slow now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so, it, so we all like to, we all like to give a hard time QoS, right? But they, it, there's two things that handles particularly well. One is, you know, uh, priority traffic. So if we want to, we want to get something to the front of the line and get it out quickly, right? There's right. one way to do that. And, uh, and the other thing it does is these bursts or, you know, micro bursts as some people put them, you know, to, right. to handle that and, and drop some things into a buffer rather than dropping a packet. Mm -hmm. If you, if you exceed smaller queues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Interesting. So <laughs> there's always, it depends, right? It's the consultant. Exactly. It depends. The previous in the first How many example, ones fit in the bag. Oh, there right. it is. <laughs> yeah. In the first example, QoS would not have helped. They, they needed more bandwidth, very clearly. Yeah. In the second one, QoS could help them there, and the right application with some tuning made it work. Nice. All right. Yvonne? Yes. You, uh, you, you look like you have a fun story for us. I, I have a great, like, cascading failure story. Um, All right. We, uh, we had purchased circuit diversity from a carrier, uh, you know, two internet circuits. Hold and, on, did uh, you say circuit diversity from a carrier? A carrier. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just want to just want to make sure. There's only one, one from the south. Only, yeah, I, I heard that correctly. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's only one thing worse than circuit diversity from one carrier. It's circuit from diversity two. from two carriers. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, contractually, they were obligated to provide us redundant paths, and 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 of course, there was a mistake, and one of our circuits got groomed to the same path as another one, and then there was a wonderful fiber cut under the Cincinnati River, um, which no, well, the, the Ohio River at Cincinnati, yeah, the bridge that crosses the river. Wait a minute. <laughs> the fiber cut was under the river. I mean, yeah, I, like, like we're, right we're about to enter backhoe season, right? So, like, if you're not ready, get ready because, <laughs> like, we're yeah, getting there. Like right. It was. Time, it was right under the bridge, right 
at okay. the river, right? Gotcha. Oh, I was I was trying to figure out the submarine backhoe problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold and angry. Can you even tell her story? Yeah. <laughs> so that was bad enough, right? And fortunately, the outage was over the weekend. But um, you know, we're there's nothing we can do, right? Internet outage. We you know. And and so we're sitting there, but you volunteering to go swim down to the bottom of the river to go splice the fiber yourself. You know how I feel about layer yeah. one, I mean, especially when, when there's water involved. Um, but but the interesting thing was was the cascading failure that happened after that. So the internet was down, and and it this went on for eighteen hours. So it was not a quick fix. Well, at some point. And, and the network was architected such that all of the clients go back through the central point to get to the internet from the WAN. And, uh, and what ended up happening is the clients internally basically DDoSed our internal DNS servers. So they fell over. Well, when the internal DNS servers fell over, Active Directory fell over and authentication fell over. So when authentication fell, fell over, your TACAC servers would respond, but they couldn't authenticate because they couldn't get to Active Directory. And, so and, no local mode, it doesn't, uh, AAA doesn't fail over there. Right, well, so we would have loved to have <laughs> shut down our TACAC servers because then they can't respond because uh, so that, you know, we could at least log into our routers, right? Check status, things like that. Well, the problem was- The virtual? were virtual yes, right i win environment <laughs> you couldn't authenticate to that uh without active directory right so we just we couldn't touch anything um eventually active directory righted itself right the dns servers wigged out reset their process and then active directory came back but it was it was really a lesson in in cascading failures and not understanding Every, you know, with what box is in every box, you know, it's like the concentric boxes where they go inside one another and then you lock the outside one and the key is in the little one in the middle, you know, you, you just can't get anywhere. Um, it's, also, it's also interesting to, and I just wrote a piece on this, um, to think about it in the sense of coupling both tight and loose coupling as it relates to your, your designs, because anything that's tightly coupled has highly dependent upon other services. And actually in my article, I use DNS as an example, because it's a really simple and easy one to understand. Well, you know, I could use IP addresses, but that's bad because it's static, right? We tell people to use DNS names all the time because it's, it's more flexible and I can just change the reference and all of a sudden it goes to a different IP. But now you've added a dependence to this other service for something that maybe didn't absolutely require it. And so as we couple these systems together, it's impossible in an enterprise network or any network really to get away from coupling. But the idea is just knowing what those, what those interactions are. Like that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> when you and, think about and, failures and just unintended consequences anytime there's coupling involved that you don't understand. You, you learn pretty quickly that when you break DNS, you break everything, right? Like that's nothing, true. nothing <clears throat> works without DNS. And, and then you also have to, to examine like, you know, if we keep everything, because there, there are shops that go one direction and they're like, look, keep everything separate. We want everything physical. You know, they, they may have some virtuals, but they want everything that's related to infrastructure completely separate and physical. And then you've got folks that are like, oh, let's cram it all together and get as much and as little uh, space as we can. And really, you have to be a little bit more strategic about which pieces go where and how they all fit together. But it's really difficult to think through all those failure scenarios, you know, until somebody runs a, a, a backhoe under the Ohio River and in a submarine <laughs> I'm just I'm picturing the submarine 
the backhoe operator in a submarine. It's just a picture. Yeah. You guys are terrible. <laughs> but it's the like problem we want. It's it's interesting. We keep talking about IT getting simpler in the enterprise and the push button data center and all that stuff. It's, it's such garbage. All what's happening underneath. So. It doesn't, you, you still need to know everything works and right. Okay. Microservices architectures uh, up, up in the cloud where everything's you know magical and wonderful and right. It's or serverless. You still have to have service discovery working or everything breaks and, yeah. and so yeah. on. The complexity doesn't go away just because we put an easy button on it. Right. Abstraction doesn't remove complexity. It takes away your interaction with it. It doesn't mean the complexity is actually gone, meaning that all of the That's risks right. of complexity minus the, you know, operator error, are still there, <laughs> right? It just, this is, yeah, this, this is me now getting out my soapbox. And I'm <laughs> like, this is, this one just bothers me because like, I like abstraction and abstraction is a good thing. Uh, I don't like putting microcode out to make my processor do what it needs to do. Like, you know, like there are abstractions that absolutely need to happen and we continue to make that progress and that's a good thing. Um, but man, like this, this idea that there is anything that's easy button, it's not, it doesn't exist. Uh, we will continue to abstract things. And as we do them, that we will get more refined at doing it. But man, like complexity still is there and it needs to be managed appropriately. And we, and we've Jordan, you, must, you must have a horror story, right? I have. A, well, actually, so, so my story, um, I decided, well, I was thinking about this and it's like the, my, the last time we did this on our first episode, um, I told a story that, that was, you know, me scrambling to fix a network while my wife was in labor. Which is which is a fun one. If if you haven't listened to that one, you probably should go back and listen to it because because it, it is it is quite humorous. It's a great story, and uh, and so it was more situational. I was thinking this time it's like okay, well I've got. I mean, believe me, I've made lots of mistakes. I've made lots of you know, done <laughs> stupid things. But I'm thinking like, what is the thing that causes me like the most horror when I think back on it? And actually, I have a number of stories that are related to work travel. Like that's that like this is the thing I came up with, and so like. In thinking about this, I have this, and it's actually, it's, it's a nice tie into together because it's also part of my CCI story. And it's my, one of my favorite stories to tell. And so uh, I'll start, you know, I take my first lab attempt like in December, uh, 2013. And uh, I, I did really well on that attempt. I wish I missed it by one, I missed one troubleshooting question away from passing the lab. And I was like really proud of that attempt. I thought that was great. Um, and they had just announced that the version of the lab I was taking had, was expiring just before I did that. So what happens when they announce that a version of the lab is expiring? Everybody goes out and reserves every seat available to take the lab. Well, you can't reserve two seats. So by the time I took my test, all the seats were gone. And so now I have six months of like, absolutely no, but I was that close. And so I was just like frustrated. So uh, actually a seat opened up in a mobile lab in Vancouver. And uh, I actually had Cisco support call me. I was random, right? Yeah, random place. Cisco support, the, the certification support called me because I was so frantically trying to find a seat and talked to them enough. They actually called me on my cell phone. They're like, a seat just opened up, go register. So I did, like within an hour, I had tickets, my CCIE lab book, like I was ready to go. Just so happened to be, I was traveling out Super Bowl Sunday uh, of 2014 out of Newark. And the Super Bowl that year was in <laughs> New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> in New York, they had it at, at the stadium, which was an experience. So and we'll come back to why that was. So, so I show up there and of course I show up at like three o'clock in the morning to leave. And there's like 400 people at my usual parking spot at New York airport. And they're like, you're not parking here. We're using it for the Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, okay. So anyway, that's not a big part of the story. <laughs> so I get out to Vancouver and I'm one of those guys that travels a couple days in advance because if my, my flight gets canceled today, 
I don't want to be scrambling to try to get there for a lab appointment the next morning. And so I actually was going out, I was going out on Sunday. My lab wasn't on till, till Tuesday. So I get out there. I didn't have any problems. Um, I get out there and I'm watching the Super Bowl, and I, and I go out to a bar there and I eat all is good. And we're having fun. And, uh, I wake up the next morning and I am deathly sick. So just, just like I, something I ate did not, did not agree with me at all. And so I spent the day before my lab curled up on the bathroom floor in my hotel room. Um, just absolutely as miserable as I've ever been. So this is, this is always a good start to a CCME experience. I'm sure it was after you ate and you weren't just thinking about like redistributing rip on the lab. No, 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 no. (laughs) Maybe, but no. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm like super sick. I like, I didn't know if I was going to be able to actually take the test. Like I'm, I'm, you know, obviously stressed on top of being sick and, uh, and I make it to the next morning and I'm, you know, (laughs) I haven't eaten anything in over 24 hours. I haven't, um, my stomach is still not fully settled, but I paid all this money to be here. I'm going to go take this test. So I'm worried about like puking on my keyboard as I'm sitting there in this room. So, so forward some bio packets. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, so I go in, <laughs> I go in to take the lab and, uh, and you know, you have that moment of sitting around everybody in the, in the waiting room, like everyone's sitting there nervously. Terry doesn't know this because like none of this process existed when he got his CCIE, but you know. <laughs> yeah, the but, smell uh, of fear, the smell yeah. of stress, people uh, sweating. Exactly. Yeah. No, they just, On top they, of that. They jerked me off the phone while I was in TAC and said, go take your CCA now. Oh, okay. Oh, well. Okay. I guess I'm doing that. So, so, and I have the added stress of hoping I'm not going to puke on any of these people who are sitting in the waiting room with me. So anyway, I I get to my test. I refuse to eat anything all day. I get to, I get to lunch and actually things are going really well. I got the same troubleshooting scenario that I had in my first exam, which I'd, which I'd solved eight questions out of the 10 the first time around. I solved nine the second time around. And I swear the last question isn't solvable to this day. Um, but that might be my price saying that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, so, uh, so I took the test. I got through the troubleshooting test. I actually had one more question, right? And I, it was, like I said, it was the same one. So I'm like, hey, uh, I have a shot at this. I got through config. It felt good. I had extra time. I was like, like, this is like, I can't believe I'm sitting in this position because I fully expected I was just going to bomb out. So, uh, so like I, we get to the end of the test and man, I feel really good about it. I don't feel personally good. I feel awful. But I'm like, I'm like, I just sat that after sickness and I didn't completely bomb out. At least it was a respectable attempt, if nothing else. Um, and I go down to the lobby of the building that the, uh, the Cisco office in Vancouver is in. And I'm like checking my messages and, and stuff. And, and I find out my flight has been canceled and I was flying out that night. And so it's like, oh, okay. So now I'm stuck. And uh, it's usually not a big deal. It happens all the time when you travel. So it's like, I'll go find. So my, my bag is back in my hotel. I go back to my hotel. It's like, hey, do you have rooms for the night? No. So, okay. So I've been sick. I just took a CCIE lab being sick and now I don't have a place to stay. And so <laughs> I'm looking, I'm trying to find a place. And I asked the, the people at the desk there, I know they have like another hotel that's up by the airport. They're like, can you check if there's a room? They're like, absolutely. So they call up, there's a room for me. I'm like, I'm all set. I let my wife know like, Hey, this is where I'm headed. So I go, I walked out of the train. I get on the train. I get off at the exit or the, uh, the stop. They tell me to get off. I keep walking uh, in the direction they told me to walk. And I walk and I walk and I walk. And I walk again at this point, 48 hours without food. And about 15 blocks later, I'm in a residential section <laughs> with no sight or any hope of a hotel. Having <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not even Please, 40 sir, will you let me have it? I'm a CCIE. Hopefully, I'm hopeless. 
this this is pretty much it. So so up, <laughs> up ahead by a couple blocks is a McDonald's, and I'm like, okay, they'll have wireless because at this point I have been away. I told my wife I was leaving the hotel, and like I would be up there. And of course, I'm cheap. I'm in Canada. I have my data turned off, so I can't like like just shoot her a message. Um, on my phone. So like I go to McDonald's, I get on, on their Wi-Fi, and it's that poor little McDonald's in the middle of this residential neighborhood um, in Vancouver that I find out that I failed my second attempt at my CCIE. <laughs> also, oh, by the way, after the story oh, I was hoping for, Jordan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here, oh, oh, it just keeps getting better, guys. We're not there's even at, there, oh, there's more. Wait, <laughs> there's more. So I, so I find out there, and you know what I missed it by? One question. I get oh. So the first time I was really proud of this attempt, like I was like so close. The second time I have never been more defeated in my life. So if you want a really sad example of, of the human experience of a CCIE candidate, it's the picture of me in this McDonald's in Vancouver about to cry into the McFlurry I'm afraid to eat. <laughs> so... Uh, so I, I, oh. <laughs> it's all right if you're laughing at me because at this point I can laugh because if I don't, I would definitely cry a lot. Um, so anyway, <laughs> so I'm back for my wife. And of course, like this is like, I don't know, like 10 o'clock at night there. So it's like one o'clock in the morning at home. Like Joy's been waiting to hear. My wife is Joy. She's been waiting to hear like what the outcome of my, my day was. So I send her that sad text like, nope, didn't happen. Nope, I'm not at the hotel. Nope, don't know where I'm staying tonight. She's like, just get a taxi. I'm like in the middle of a residential neighborhood. And this is like pre-Uber, like before it was as big as it is today. And I walk out and the only good thing of the day that happened is the fact that there was a taxi coming by right at that time. And I'm like, I don't care how much it costs. Get me to this hotel. Oh, I thought you were going (laughs) to say it was the McFlurry. (laughs) (laughs) so so i get in the taxi and a 15 minute drive later and absolutely nowhere near where they directed me to go we get to the hotel and uh and so we get to the hotel i walk in i'm like and and at this point we're approaching midnight and i'm like i just you know i'm here the hotel called like you know four hours ago (laughs) to let you know i was coming they're like we have no idea what you're talking about we haven't had rooms in four months and so now I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, now what do I do? And so like I'm scrambling, trying to find a room at this hotel, um, find one that's just down the road. I finally like, I finally find a bed at like, I think it was yeah, about two o'clock in the morning by the time it all got settled. So I actually lay down on a bed and I hadn't eaten 48 hours. And then my flight was canceled for two days because there was this massive ice storm that year out at Newark. The story's not done, by the way. There's more. Um, <laughs> I see everyone like gearing up like this is it. There's there's more. This I mean, this is really so I uh, had a connection in Calgary. I hit the connection in Calgary. I get stuck in customs and miss my flight, which now makes me take an additional leg to Toronto. I get to Toronto. I think I illegally entered the U S twice. I'm not quite sure about this. So, so what I did is in Calgary, I went through customs back to the U S and by the time I got through customs, I missed my flight. And then they took me like through back alleys in the airport over to another flight that got me out to Toronto, but I never like went back through customs in the Canada. So like by all records, I was already in the U S and then I showed up in Toronto <laughs> and had to leave through customs to come back in the U S without ever leaving. So I'm not quite sure. I'm, what what the legal liability is there but anyway uh, <laughs> so i get back to newark um at this point oh by the way all middle seats because of course i miss flights and you know 
middle seats are always fun. Um, so get back to, uh, get back to Newark and, and I go out to my car, of course. And the reason for the delay is we had a foot and a half of snow and a bunch of ice. And I have my rear wheel drive sport compact car sitting in Newark parking lot, no shovel. It's two o'clock in the morning. Um, at this point I had eaten, luckily I had finally had some food. And so I'm just, I, I'm sitting there staring yeah. at this. I had failed my, I'd failed my lab. <laughs> I got stuck there. I had no place to stay. Like, I mean like this, this whole list of things. And now I'm staring at my car and there's this pile of snow behind it. I have no shovel, no gloves, no nothing. And I'm just like, really? And it's two o'clock in the morning. So it's not like there's anyone around to help me. So I ended up digging out. There actually was a good Samaritan who helped me do it. I got the car out and I get home and I'm just like, I'm, done. <laughs> like, this is like the absolute worst trip of my life. Um, and, and so, yeah, so I, I really like that day I wanted to quit the CCIE so bad because I was just like, why am I doing this? And then, and that was, I wasn't only halfway through all of my trouble at that point. Like it was, I had thing upon thing after thing after that. And then I went and took it a third time and I passed. So, I mean, don't quit if there's a moral of the story, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's my, that's my horror story for, it's not very technical, but man, it was, <laughs> very it was technical. not very technical. I mean, besides the CCIE lab portion, that was kind of technical. <laughs> so what did your therapist say after all this? <laughs> um, my therapist dropped me after that, actually. I don't know why. <laughs> no. I can't help you. <laughs> All right. So on, on that happy note, I think that we're, we're about ready to close out the show. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah and Ethan, for coming on. I'm going to give you guys a chance to uh, tell people where to find you. Ethan, where can people find you? Yeah, Ethan Banks, I co-host the Packet Pushers uh, podcast, of which there's several now, several different channels, and you can find all of that at packetpushers.net or in find podcatchers everywhere. Just search for Packet Pushers and you'll see all the feeds. And uh, that's where I write and do my thing. And uh, if you're on Twitter, at EC Banks. And if you like productivity, I have a blog where I update occasionally, ethancbanks.com on productivity. Thanks, Jordan. Awesome. Terry, is there anywhere online people can find you? <laughs> Not many. Uh, hey, Terry, <laughs> Terry, Terry Hides. <laughs> no, I, I blog at NetCraftsman, um, and I also blog over at No Jitter and occasionally at other sites around uh, TechTarget and some other places from time to time. Awesome. Russ, where can people find you? The Network Collective. That's it. Like you just, you've given up on everything else? No, no. Well, rule11.tech as well. <laughs> collective still at this and, point. And you can go talk, and, to wall, talk at a wall on Twitter if you, yeah. Yeah, you can, yeah, you can, you can talk to me on Twitter, but I won't, I won't respond. So feel free. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Yvonne? Conversation. Yeah, uh, you can find me on the blog at esharp.net where I write sparingly and on Twitter at Sharp Network. All right. I'm Jordan Martin. You can find me on my blog occasionally, jordanmartin.net, always here at Network Collective. I'm at BC Jordo on Twitter, on all the rest of the social media sites as well. Uh, if you like this, and apparently you do because we're here a year later, so thank you so much for that. Um, there you find lots more content that we've, uh, that we've put out there. Uh, in fact, a year's worth, a year's worth of content you can go find at our Imagine website. That. Imagine that. I just, I, that just came to me. Uh, the, <laughs> I did the math in my head, guys. It was pretty cool. The networkcollective.com is our website. We're on Twitter at netcollectivepc. Uh, we release our, our video versions of our episodes on Vimeo and audios on iTunes and all the rest of the podcatchers. Uh, thanks so much for a great year. We have lots of plans uh, for the upcoming year and we're very, very excited about it. We'll see you next time.